Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, while I have you here, please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. This is Dmitry Samarov from Chicago, Illinois. And I love listening to Vishkana's creative control because whether he's talking to a favorite musician or actor of mine or someone I've never heard of, it's as if he's introducing me to a new friend. And the way things are going, couldn't you use a new friend? Listen now. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. Steve Albini is a musician, songwriter, poker player, and recording engineer based in Chicago, Illinois. A member of notable bands like Big Black and Shellac, Albini owns and operates the renowned Electrical Audio Recording Facility in Chicago and has appeared on the Creative Control Podcast in some capacity at least once a year since 2013. In this instance, Steve and I connected to have a discussion that covered the current state of U.S. politics, maintaining Electrical Audio's operations during pandemic life, shellac's 30th anniversary in 2022, what it was like to tour and cancel recent shellac tour dates, updates on making and completing their new record, and the status of a forthcoming compilation of shellac singles and rarities. The documentary Get Back and the Beatles he has met and spoken with in his life. Why, after years of having a 
private account, he unlocked his Twitter in 2021, speaking to and owning his own insensitive sociocultural mistakes and remarks, remembering Norm MacDonald and his encounters with the late comedian, his supportive role with the Unconditional Giving Poverty Alleviation Charities Organization and its annual Letters to Santa program, which is spearheaded by his wife, Heather Winna, and will engage in a star-studded 24-hour improv live streaming and real-life event in Oakland, California, to raise funds for those in need on December 18th and 19th, 2021. Other future plans and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash Control. With additional support from Blackbird Music, a wonderful record store with locations in Edmonton and Calgary, Alberta, and very friendly staff who will help you with whatever you need. You can learn more about them at blackbird.ca. Plus, in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee, who are each located in Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and Granddad's Donuts, who are located in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. This is the 656th episode of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Steve Albini with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Steve. How's it going? Reasonable good. Hey, that's better than last time. Last time you were on the show, I asked you how things were going, and you said terrible, which I, they were at the time. Yeah, I mean, things are still terrible, obviously. I guess I'm slightly more uh, inured to it by now. Hmm. Like, it's when things are terrible for long enough, that becomes the status quo, and then you start to recalibrate your expectations. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, at the time we were speaking, so just so we're clear, the last time uh, you were on the show, December 2020, uh, Joe Biden had just won the election, but uh, the pandemic was raging and electrical audio was in uh, peril. Let's say it was in peril. How's electrical audio doing uh, these days? Let's start with that. Well, the, mercifully, the all of the relief money that's been made available to businesses has kept us afloat. Like we were, the PPP program allowed us to keep paying our payroll, even when we didn't have any income. We've been able to borrow an extraordinary amount of money at, uh, you know, very friendly terms. Uh, so the it saved the company. Like all of those measures saved the company, and so the studio is afloat for the moment. Although you know the state of any business like ours is dependent on the general state of the music scene, which still hasn't recovered. And it looks like it may not recover for some time. Mm. So yeah, I mean, things are rough all over and we're, we're not immune to that. 
I follow Electrical Audio on various social media, and it seems like there's some activity, but... Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, we're we're doing sessions as many as possible, and, you know, I'm busy every day. Um, it's just that the the extra work re- that, that COVID requires of us, that is the disinfection in between the in between every session, um, the time and money and energy spent on safety protocols, the fact that we can't have people resident in the building, we can't have people lodging in the building anymore. Hmm. Like a lot of, all of those things have kind of nibbled away at the operating margins of the studio to the extent that now we're sort of paying for our existence with the amount of work that we can do, but we're not getting our, we're not getting ahead at all. Right. Okay. Well, uh, I'm sorry to hear that, but uh, I'm glad it's busy. Um, yeah. Yeah. Busy is a very good term for it. Yeah, we are definitely busy. Rammed. You you seem busy. When we were trying to figure this out, this, this talk, you seemed very slammed. Yeah. I mean, the part of the problem is that the extra work that COVID requires means that you have, there's more things that you have to do. So like, I'm, I, I'm conducting sessions normally, like I finished a session today, and then Post that, I had to do a bunch of disinfecting work on mm. the on the control room. Yeah, I have another session that starts tomorrow, or day after tomorrow, and yeah. then after that session, I'm going to spend a day disinfecting all the equipment in the studio environment. Mm. So you know, it's it's busy work essentially. It's work that you need to do to stay ahead of the pandemic and to make sure that everyone has a safe working environment. Yeah, but it doesn't generate any money. Right. You know, it's extra work that you must do, but there's no pay. You don't get paid for it. Right. I I hear you. So busy is a very good description of how I am these days. Busy. Yes, I appreciate that. Okay. Well, mood wise, in terms of, like I said, last time we spoke, America had uh, was just trying to overcome this trauma, I would say. Uh, Yeah. And uh, you were hopeful, I think, that, well, obviously anything was going to be better than what you went through. What's yeah, your exactly. what's your general if you can if you can give me kind of a sense of the mood in your country <clears> these days based on your own impressions and maybe the people you talk to how do things feel right now? Uh, there's an uh, impending doom uh, with the the redistricting that's underway in a lot of Republican states. There's brutal gerrymanders being designed in places like Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, Texas that despite those being purple states, like despite those Mm -hmm. being states where Democrats are either in the majority or uh, a significant fraction, you know, like a near parity with Republicans, the Republicans have engineered these gerrymanders that will give them essentially endless permanent control of those states. And that is the sort of thing that, that previously would have been preventable by the civil rights legislation that prevented the southern states from disenfranchising African Americans. Mm-hmm. The Voting Rights Act. The Voting Rights Act was gutted by the Roberts Court. And so now the states with impunity, once there's a Republican elected anywhere, he never has to worry about facing a fair election ever again. Right. And that's sort of the way it's transpired in every state where Republicans have like finagled control of the state houses. They're building these little fiefdoms that are going to be impervious. And that's terrifying because that means that the Democrats will likely lose control of the House of Representatives, the lower house of Congress. They're already at the moment have a 
slim one vote uh, majority in the Senate, which only really counts because in name, at least, Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin are Democrats. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they they don't behave like Democrats. They're not they don't caucus 100 percent with the Democrats and they are an obstacle to any of the progress that the Democrats would want to enact. Yeah. But they you know, there's a D after their name. Right. And it's quite likely that we will lose control of both houses as Democrats, which will, then means we'll have a lame duck president without the ability to pass any legislation. Right. Senate, the Senate and Congress will both. And the, yeah, the, they'll all be Republican. Right. And you you go through this in your country a lot, whether you yeah. whether the, the the person sitting in the in the White House is a, you know, a preferred person or not, if you will. But yeah. I, so what do you do? I feel like the last time we chatted. Uh, we we even broached the notion of you moving, uh, <laughs> depending yeah, on I mean, how things being went. Fair, being fair, moving out of this country is a perfectly reasonable option. Yeah, and if the worst of the worst happens, if you know, if the Republicans gain, regain control of both houses of Congress, and if Donald Trump somehow finagles himself back into the presidency in twenty twenty four, then there is essentially nothing that would keep me here there's a there's there's nothing in my life that is so precious to me that it would be worth living in what is certain to become an authoritarian state so the gerrymandering that you're speaking of the the ability to further disenfranchise already marginalized and disenfranchised voters some of this is revenge for 2020 right that's my reading of it uh yeah well the the not the gerrymandering no that's just a broad strategy that the republicans you know it, it was first articulated as the red state plan and it's been it's been in the works since the end of the reagan administration right take over local control take over states then change voting rules and congressional districting to ensure maintaining power even in the minority you know that's just a, a long-term plan of the republican party yeah specifically the replacement of election officials with people loyal to trump that is the new threat. That's the new paradigm that is a, a, a new and original threat, Yeah, which is that those people responsible for certifying elections are being systematically purged of anyone who would allow Donald Trump to lose. Mm-hmm. Right. So if Donald Trump is, is in fact, the, the candidate in 2024, and if the election is close enough that there is any doubt, then these people will spring into action and that it, we would have a constitutional crisis where we would no longer be a democracy. Yeah. So your your whole system and infrastructure is definitely flawed and uh, ripe for such action. Objectively, what are the Democrats and those who lean left? How are they complicit in this disaster? What I, what I see well, from up here is like there's not lessons learned. It seems it's just a cycle yeah. of repeating mistakes and giving people the benefit of the doubt. And then every time it doesn't work out. Sorry, I, I led you into an answer, but what, you're absolutely correct, though. Yeah. Like the, the, the Democrats have brought a, a butter knife to a gunfight every time. Yeah. And the Republicans have shown that they're willing to smash all the windows and grab what they can in whatever their season of power they will do they will go whole hog you know mm-hmm. they will get every you know they'll do whatever they can to obstruct when they're not in power and when they are in power they will go absolutely ape right um, which is why trump was able to seat more judges than any other president that kind of bullshit yeah. you know like yeah. 
Trump, who, who probably doesn't know that a president is responsible for nominating judges. You know, he probably doesn't know that. <laughs> well, he's got a uh, little Mitch, Mitch is whispering in his ear at the time, you know, and telling him yeah, how to do it, stuff. Yeah. Like everything else, he has people to do that for him. Yeah. So my point being that there is lip service being played to the, um, the, the norms and traditions of governance when one political party has clearly abandoned the concept of democratic governance. Like the Republican Party is not interested in a democratically elected body of officials. Just not interested in that at all. They just want to maintain power. Right. And they're not interested in the project of a liberal democracy. What they're interested in is specific policy goals mm-hmm. that they will enact come hell or high water. Things like the overturning of Roe versus Wade, right. Uh, right. which will allow would allow states to ban abortions. I mean, that's been an, a stated policy objective of theirs for a long time. Never mind the fact that, you know, fully 75 percent of the people in the country do not want Roe versus Wade overturned. The Republicans are convinced that this is a big bell ringing, you know, uh, like this is a, a this is a big win for them. If they do something that 75 percent of the people in the country would rather ha- not have happened. They think that's a big win just because it was a stated objective of theirs. But hasn't this been the case for decades now that uh, Republican policy is is actually deeply un or rather the policies they want to implement they're always deeply unpopular when it comes yeah. to polls. They've lost every popular vote when it comes to these presidential elections and whatnot. So they are deeply which is, which is why they they are engineering a mechanism whereby they can retain offices without winning right right so it's a perfectly reasonable you know from a game theory standpoint (laughs) if you can change the rules so that you always win then you don't have to be good at the game so throwing up your hands at this point you you say if things go really sideways in the coming years that's it is there any other thing to do like other than like I, I don't know, like objectively, uh, as a- I mean, you can you can devote your life to political change yeah. and you can spend all of your time and energy organizing. And I'm I'm just not going to do that. I don't have the I don't have it in me to try to convince other people that just is not an I, I'm of the opinion that people form their opinions on their own. Yeah. And some of them will be reasonable and some of them won't. And I think arguing with people who are being unreasonable is a waste of my time and is ineffective. So I'm just not going to do it. Right. Yeah. You said this again last time you were on. You said, like, these people just have to go because there's nothing. Well, no, you, you mean, can't that, talk to not, them. They're not going to go. They yeah. live here. I'm, what we need to do is we need to neutralize them. Right. We, That's we what you said. Make it, yeah. We need to we need to make things. So that the majority of the people in the country who want to be who want to live in an open liberal democracy, that we get our way. <laughs> right. I mean, that seems, that seems like a, a perfectly reasonable ask. Yeah. But that takes the political will of people like Joe Biden and Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, and they simply don't have it. They're simply not going to do it. Yeah. So if we avoid a slide into authoritarianism, it will be through grassroots work done without the aid of the top echelon of the Democratic Party. Right. Well, that's bleak, but I I think that's true. And, uh, you know, up here, 
uh, watching America from from where I am in Canada, other than this tremendous political, socio-cultural and political turmoil that we've been discussing, some right. some things seem normal again. Bands are touring. Uh, some are playing shows. I saw earlier this year that Shellac... Uh, was uh, your band, of course, was meant to uh, do a tour, uh, but then you, you you canceled it. Did it even begin before you'd canceled it? I can't recall. No, we we canceled a tour that was meant to be in the beginning of September, and that itself had been rescheduled from a year prior. And we canceled it and rescheduled it for another calendar year later, basically. Okay. And we canceled it because the Delta variant was raging on the West coast at the time. And we were going to be touring through there and it just didn't seem responsible for us to be providing a, a people with a reason to congregate. Yeah. And, you know, everyone talks about the measures that they can do to make their touring experience safe. And there are things that you can do. Like we were going to require people to be masked and vaccinated and things of that nature. But, Ultimately, what those mitigation things are is they're trying to find a way to do a risky thing, you know, trying to find a way that excuses whatever residual risk there is by saying, well, we have done these things and that should be enough. Hmm. And and I feel like from our perspective, at least, it just didn't seem like that was worth the risk. Like if over the course of our tour we crossed paths with enough people whose reason for congregating was us putting on a show then some of them a significant number of them were going to get sick yeah through that yeah and then just by the law of large numbers we would be responsible in one way or another for a, a death or two and i just couldn't carry that i just couldn't that's too heavy for me for the sake of me wanting to play guitar in front of people. As we're speaking, Neil Young uh, was interviewed by Rolling Stone, and he said ostensibly what you're saying. And, you know, he charges, he admits, you know, I charge a fortune for my shows. Uh, People are going to come out and have a good time. Why would I take this risk? But at the same time, other people are doing it. And yeah, and And I'm not, I'm not casting shade on those people. I'm not saying that, that they're wrong. I'm saying that for me as a person, yeah, my constitution wouldn't allow me to be the reason people congregated during a, a pandemic. Yeah. You know, my I, I was talking to my wife about this because uh, I've had, now that we live in Edmonton, it's remote. Uh, when my friends from Ontario, who in the last couple months, in the last month, let's say, they're starting to show up. They're starting to go on tour. and uh, But I'm not going to the shows. I just go and say hello the next day yeah. outside because our kids just got their, their – they're young and they just got their uh, vaccine. So, But there is a – we were talking about Christmas and the holidays and the gatherings. Yeah. And my wife said, when is it – she agrees with me, but she's also like, when is it going to be okay? Because, you know, as we're speaking, there's this Omicron is the new yeah. variant. And it's and I just uh, was going to meet some friends who are coming by, uh, and they had to cancel their whole tour. Five of them got COVID. Yeah, no symptoms. They're in a bit, and yeah. you know, but no symptoms. But their whole tour was canceled. So my wife was like, "What? You know, we're all gonna? I've don't. Do you think, Steve, we're all gonna get this at some point? Probably like a a cold well, or a flu." I- that's something that I hear from people who are arguing for minimizing the safety 
of others. I do hear from the people who say, ah, oh, you got vaccinated, that's enough, or oh, I wear my mask, that's enough. Yeah. Or why are people still worried about this shit? Like, just, you know, it's not, it's, it's like a flu. Those are the people who then moments later say, we're all going to get it anyway. And, yeah. And being fair, a lot of those fuckers did get it, you know, yeah. because of the fucking attitude that they've got that, like, it's outside of their control to be able to be careful. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I got vaccinated the instant I could. Prior to that, I was always masked whenever I'm outside of the house. Yeah. And I you still, know? I still am. We're, I'm double vaxxed, but I wear the mask everywhere I go. And uh, I'm, I'm vaccinated and I got my booster and I still wear my mask whenever I'm outside of the house. Yeah. I don't think it's unreasonable to take extra measures in extraordinary circumstances, to, yeah. to take extraordinary measures in extraordinary circumstances. Yeah. I, you know, I do hear from other people that I'm overreacting and that my, like, concern is unwarranted. And I, you know, I don't really like the sense of schadenfreude that it, that I get when I, yeah. Enumerate those people and what a heart, a large percentage of those very people have themselves got COVID. Mm -hmm. You know, that doesn't make me feel better, but it does make me feel like I'm not wrong. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have the same same feeling. I've gotten a lot of grief because I've been pretty cautious and I've gotten some just side eye, some grief for not thinking we should all get together and go to things. And I get it. People are, are sick of it. And they need to, they right. want to do stuff. Let's just say, um, objectively, I, I'm totally accepting that I, I agree with you. I agree that precautions yeah. must be taken. This is our circumstance. We have to make the best of it. But beyond that, is it difficult for you to not be playing shows? I know Shellac does, does yes. not play very often. And so when, when you do, it's very special. Uh, for, it sucks yeah. because it's the thing that it's the thing in my year that I look forward to the most is yeah. being able to go out on tour and play with Bob and Todd. It's like it's such an invigorating thing. Yeah. It you know, going to places and playing music on stage is fucking awesome and I I miss it dreadfully, you know. But by the same token, I feel a heavy responsibility not to be part of the problem. Yeah. And like my I have a business and my business has people coming and going. We make it as we try to make you know, we're trying to maintain a safe work environment and knock wood, none of our staff have gotten covid and as far as we know no one has gotten covid from exposure at our studio. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's I consider that an accomplishment, yeah. but I also consider that like the bare fucking minimum yeah. for trying to be careful. Like we're not doing anything extraordinary. We're just doing all the things everybody knows we should be doing. Yeah. You know, have good ventilation, make sure everyone's wearing an N95 or masked or double mask. Yeah. Make sure everyone's vaccinated. Make sure that everyone that comes into the building behaves in a safe manner. Like that's the floor. Yeah. That's not extraordinary. That's yeah. the floor. And I just feel like so many people bristle at even getting to the floor, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's very frustrating, uh, but for what it's worth, I'm completely aligned with you, and I've been doing the same things. And sometimes I do feel like I'm being a worrywart, but we're the only ones of our f sort of family circle here 
our kids don't have we haven't had a cold since February 2020 and yeah. that's extreme but I think that's good because I, <laughs> I I think sure. we've, we've done the right things and uh, so I'm with you on it um, one of the silver linings I suppose from the shellac tour cancellation was I feel like within a week or two I was you know I followed the shellac Instagram you guys seem to be in a recording studio is that true yeah we have finished and the there wasn't at the beginning of the, the pandemic, we were on tour in March of, is that 2020 that I'm thinking of? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We were on tour. Is it March? Is it 2020 that I'm thinking of? Yeah. Well, so we were on tour in March yeah. of 2020. In America, you and, were touring like kind of the Midwest, I think. And then the tour yeah, got canceled, and, right? Yeah. And at the beginning of the tour, it was kind of like, ha ha, this COVID thing, people might not come to the shows. Ha ha ha. Right. Then you know, a couple of shows into it, we started to notice that people were keeping their distance and we were keeping our distance from people. And, you know, we weren't shaking hands and embracing. And then a couple of cities started to issue business closing orders. And we had to have a conversation like, are we going to continue? Are we going to do this? And the sort of come to Jesus moment was when we played a show in Milwaukee, we had been booked in a smaller venue, which sold out immediately. So it got moved to a larger venue with a bigger capacity. And when we played the show, I felt like maybe that had been a poor decision because that venue didn't seem that full when we were playing. Mm. And then when I talked to the promoter, he said, yeah, 200 and something people, like I want to say 280 people paid for their tickets and did not use them Mm. because uh, they were concerned about COVID. Right. And And that was like that was the come to Jesus moment. It was like, well, yeah, okay, this is ridiculous. We should just stop. Right. The band that we were playing with is named Loki's Folly, and they're from Minneapolis, or they're from the Twin Cities. And so we were on our way back to the Twin Cities. We're going to finish there. Yeah. We had one show in between and then a show booked in, 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 at the First Avenue in Minneapolis. On the way to the show in Madison, which was the in-between show, uh, the Minneapolis show got canceled, and the city issued an order that prohibiting gatherings of large gatherings of people. The venue that we played at in Madison was a very small venue, and it again, it sold out instantly, but a lot of those people also did not come. And the people who, who came to the show were inside for long enough to see the band and then immediately dispersed. Right. And so we just pulled the plug. Uh, like our tour was interrupted, but we had decided that we weren't going to try to pursue doing that, sh- that Minneapolis show, even if they had, if even if we had been allowed, we decided we weren't going to do it. Okay. Yeah. So that that was the beginning of the pandemic for me was being on tour with my band and having the tour interrupted by the beginning of the lockdown. Right. Our plan was that we we're going to finish that tour, make our way back to the studio at Electrical Audio, finish an album and get it out relatively in relatively short order. Hmm. When the tour that replaced the tour from the previous year uh, got canceled, we all of us had time on our hands. So we used that time instead to finish the album. So we have an album that's recorded that has been in works for a long time. Like the first sessions were in 2017. Hmm. So the album has been in work for a very long time. We just haven't, hadn't been able to finish it. And it's now finished to an extent, but there's no way of releasing it because the pressing plants are all backed up to hell and gone. And yeah. there, you know, there is still some managerial work to do on it. Like we have to get the cover artwork together and we have to, finalize the sequencing and all that sort of stuff so there is like a small amount of work left to be done but it doesn't fucking matter because we couldn't press the record now anyway i see so it's it's not mastered but is it mixed yeah Um, yeah 
Okay. We're very picky people, so there's a chance that some of those mixes won't survive and we'll end up doing them again. But huh. the, at, at the moment, uh, we have a finished record that's waiting for release. You guys are picky. I've never heard that before. That's interesting. Okay. <laughs> no, no. That's... Well, we're, we're, we're picky in that it takes us a very long time to, to make decisions. You know, so like, a, you know, something simple like the arrangement of a song, which could normally be worked out in a rehearsal or two. Hmm. I mean, for us, that might be years in the brewing. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. So uh, is it at this point, do you know, uh, I know you're picky. Do you know how many songs you're looking at? And uh, is it? Is I, I think the album is set, but I honestly don't remember the number. And okay. I, I don't have a convenient way to look it up right now. No, no, that's fine. My question was more, it's been a few years, many years, yeah. since Shellac seems to have made extraneous material. Uh, stuff that might be on a single, a split, uh, these sorts of things. I right. think we've we've talked about these sorts of things before, but... Is there anything in the offing like that's that was always a fun treat when Shellac would do yeah. do something fun with a single you know what I'm saying so yeah um I mean th- a lot of that was like there was a kind of a flurry of uh, collaborative projects where like a fanzine would have as a kind of a motif that they would press up a single for each issue and mm-hmm. we participated in a couple of those or one or another sort of commemorative moment would be marked by a, a project that involved people working on singles or whatever yeah but at the moment the you know like there's nothing frivolous being done like all the pressing plants are all backed up oh yes there's that yeah of course nobody can do anything so i mean the pandemic really put a monkey wrench in the music scene the bands weren't rehearsing or writing new material they weren't touring there was no money coming in yeah so record labels didn't have a lot of current activity going on so they just reverted to doing like reissue projects and mm-hmm. catalog stuff mm-hmm. and that completely buried all of the pressing plants doing these like elaborate box sets and things like that yeah and then you know everybody was bored at home so they everybody recorded a solo album and then all those solo albums now need to come out and yeah. so they took they got in the queue behind all of the major label record store day box sets yeah yeah, um, I, yeah. I, I, as you know, I talk to musicians all the time, and this is a plight. This is a real problem, actually, and uh, it's a strange it's time. Reached, it's reached an, a, a level of absurdity where there are record labels. I, I, I'm not going to embarrass anybody, but I have a friend who runs a record label, and it's a notable label that has you know big selling releases and that sort of stuff. An independent label, but it's a it's a notable independent label. It's not like Bob's. Bob and his buddies records. It's like a a proper record label Mm -hmm. and they have long-term relationships with these pressing plants that go back decades. Right. Mm -hmm. And they had projects in work over a year ago that had been paid for. And they are now being told not to expect their records for at least another year. And they are expected to pay an, an increase in the pricing effective in the new year. Oh my God. Wow. Regardless of the fact that you've satisfied an invoice already and that you've paid us, we are not doing your pressing. We're going to wait until we get around to it. And then when we do it, you're going to have to pay us more. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, I mean, it's honestly, it's like, it's, it's fraud at this point, the way they're be the way the pressing plants are behaving and they're all behaving this way. It is, uh, it is a very bleak time for music on the one hand in terms of this stuff. 
and the stuff we've been talking about, the just touring and all. Yeah, I'm trying not to get mired in it, but yeah, I have these conversations with people, and it feels bleak. So I appreciate. Well, it. the the thing the thing that just resonates with me is the resilience of the people that are in it. Like I know a lot of musicians are frustrated. I'm frustrated, right? But nobody is despondent. That's right. Nobody yeah. is saying that it's not worth it to stay. You know, like nobody is saying, yeah, I, I, it is not worth it for me to sit on my heels for another season. You know, I'm willing to kill a few people to go out and play guitar in front of people. You know? <laughs> no one is saying that. Like yeah. everyone is saying, like, well, I'm going to try. I'm going to give it a shot. Yeah. But like, I know several tours that were interrupted by somebody catching COVID. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And. If you're willing to do that, if you're willing to like give it a shot and hope for the best and maybe I catch COVID and maybe we have to pull the plug, then on an ambition level, I think that's a reasonable way to approach it. Yeah. But touring for me, because of my professional and family obligations, like touring is so disruptive that if I'm going to do it, it absolutely must bring home the bacon. Like I can't can't, like put aside paying work and tie up things at home and all that sort of stuff. And then go off and have it blow up on me. I yeah. just, that's just that's just not a tenable situation. So, yeah. you know, my circumstances might be a little bit more demanding than your average, you know, single dude that doesn't have things to to sweat, you know, doesn't have a business to keep afloat and that sort of thing. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. You know, as we were just talking about the uh, shellac and the uh, making of the, the new record, I was just glancing at my calendar and uh, am I wrong? Is, does 2022 mark, the band's 30th anniversary am i did i make that up well now that you say that that kind of sounds kind of sounds right is 92 roughly when it got going i think it did somewhere in there yeah yeah so uh, first of all uh congratulations in advance on the (laughs) milestone that i just pointed out uh (laughs) no my question though is you know and this might be a cliche but You've been making music together for, let's say, 30 years now. Was there anything notable about the way the band uh, approaches recordings these days compared to, I don't know, any time in your history? Does it feel different in any particular way? I'd like to think that we're smarter and more efficient about things. But, you know, we're like I said, we're still working on year seven of, or year five of the the album that is our new album you yeah, know sure so i'd like to think that we've gotten better at some of those things but we just operate we work at a glacial pace like yeah we write very few songs in a given year it takes us a long time to be satisfied with them generally like when we have a song that we like we take it out on tour with us and we you know so like our sets gradually comprise all of the new material that we're working on plus some old material that we still like to play. Hmm. So, I mean, that's been our, that's been our MO since we started is we're always working on new material. We just, it just takes us a very long time to get our shit together with it. Okay. So that, Um, that part's kind of the same. Yeah. And I think that, and the recording practice, I think is as well is kind of the same, you know, Hmm. We get together in the studio, we get our gear working correctly. Bob and I sort of operate as, as tandem engineers getting the session underway. Then we have a, a, a tape op, someone that operates the tape machine while we're performing. Yeah. And then once everything's been recorded, we take it on our own and you know, we finish it from there. Yeah. 
So, so yeah, no, nothing really has changed. I shouldn't. I shouldn't. I shouldn't be quite as ashamed of that as I am. But no, no nothing has changed in in my life. No, consistency <laughs> is is good. I, I, don't, I have no problems uh, maintaining consistency. I think that's a good good way to be. You guys, uh, I heard tell recently that you guys can be picky. I also think you're the funniest band. You know, every time I see the band, I'm very entertained. In the studio, are you chill? Are you are you funny, or is it very focused and serious? I think the way to explain it is that we're we we want to enjoy the experience as well, but we do have a sense of purpose while we're there, and we don't have unlimited time either. We don't have unlimited time together, and we don't have unlimited time on the planet. So, right. like, we do try to chop wood when we're in there. <laughs> Sure, sure. But it's fun? It is fun. Yeah, sure. Yeah. That's it? That's, is you just, yeah, sure? You're going to, yeah, sure me? It is fun, but it's purposeful. Uh, yeah, it's, I don't know if fun is necessarily the right word. It's it's immensely satisfying to get right. things right and have it come out great, you know? <laughs> yeah. But it's not like goofy fun it's not like <laughs> you know it's not like it's not fucking beach volleyball it's you know okay i think I, I i hear what you're saying one of the reasons i ask about all this uh, in studio stuff i saw you uh tweet something kind of mocking about the the beatles get back movie and i've been doing this <laughs> i've been doing kind of the same thing even though i'll tell you since i've been six years old uh, that was my first love, that band. So I like the Beatles movie, uh, the Get Back movie, and I, I'm actually uh, about to start it for, or rather, I'm into my second run of it. I think I'm at the second episode, second time through, but I watch it now more in kind of chunks. Did you actually watch the Beatles movie, Get Back? I have, I'm, it's it's right up my alley. I'm certain I will love it when I get around to watching it. Okay. But I haven't been able to figure out how to watch it. I don't have kids, so I don't have whatever the Disney Disney <laughs> premium channel is. That's right. Yeah, it's on that thing. That's right. It's on the. That's the only reason I have it is because of that. Uh, the kids. So yeah, okay. everyone everyone I know that has seen it has kids, uh, and I, I think that's you know kind of a brilliant thing that they did from a from a pure game theory standpoint. Like you want all the dads. Yeah. To be vested in making sure that their kids get another year's subscription to the Disney Channel, you know? <laughs> right, sure. Uh, so they they put this dad bait on the Disney Channel. I think that was really clever, you know? Sure. I, okay, fine. I fell for it. I think I, we, we got it well before that, but I... I also enjoy yeah. that uh, on here in Canada, that's where that show uh, "Only Murders in the Building" is on. Do you know that show? Uh-huh. The, have you seen that? I have heard about it. I have not seen it. I think you'd like it. It's Steve Martin and Martin Short, and uh, yeah, I like both of them quite a lot. Yeah. What I don't like is I don't like paying for channels. <laughs> that bothers me. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. But uh, just getting back—no pun intended—to the Get Back movie. You say it would be right. R- right up your alley. I can't recall. We've never talked about this. I admit to you my love for the Beatles, ubiquitous, sure. omnipresent band. Do you have an opinion about the Beatles, per se? We've never talked about it. I'm just curious. I mean, I think they're tremendously talented people, and it's impossible not to like them. Just watching them interact with each other, it's impossible not to like them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, their music hasn't meant the world to me the way it has to other people. When I hear any of it, it, I do recognize the craft of it, and I think they're, you know, it's exceptional in that regard. Yeah. 
and my interactions with the actual Beatles have all been pleasant. The ones that I've interacted with, um, I've always I've come away from any interaction with them thinking that they were good dudes. And oh, that I liked wait, them wait a minute. Really- hold it. Hold it. You've interacted with Beatles? Yeah. Oh, in what capacity, may I ask? That's curious. Um, the first was uh, in the late 80s. I was doing a, a record at Abbey Road with a band called The Auteurs. Mm-hmm. Or was it the early 90s? It was one of those, either late 80s, early 90s. I was doing a record at Abbey Road with the auteurs at the very beginning of what eventually became a frenzy of reissuing the Beatles records. Mm. There was a new edition of some Beatles record being prepared. And Sir George Martin, their engineer, Jeff Emmerich, and Paul McCartney were coming to the building periodically to listen to progress on this new edition of the records. Hmm. And on one of those trips, Paul brought his son, James, with him and wanted to show him the studio where they had recorded when when James was a baby. He had been there, but he didn't obviously didn't remember anything about it. Right. So at that point, I think James was a, a young teenager, like he was 12 or 13 years old. And so Paul McCartney just cracked the door open to the studio and said, hello, cats, mind if I pop in and show the boy around? <laughs> you know. Okay. And, Which, and <laughs> you know, and, and I'm certain that he just had the, like everyone in the room just had this like slack jawed gape at, at him when he stuck his head in the door, but he was being just genuine. Like he just genuinely wanted to bring his kid there and show yeah. them around the studio. Yeah. So, you know, the punk rocker in me wishes that I had hurled an ashtray and said, fuck off, we're working, you know, (laughs) but but it was uh, it was but just as a normal person, my reaction was you You, you were among the mouth agape people. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, he was very, very cordial. He was nice to the band. He asked about the band, wanted to know where they were from, wanted to know how long they'd been playing and. Um, if they were liking the studio and then, you know, they shared some reminiscences about the studio. Good Lord, that's lovely. That's just lovely. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was great. Then um, some years later, I was doing a record with Jimmy Page and Robert Plant. Mm-hmm. And the assistant on that record is a guy named Paul Hicks, who's a very good engineer and is the son of Tony Hicks. From the uh, is it the Zombies who did Bus Stop? Uh, yeah, I think did the zombies do bust? I know it's not bust. Stop, ba, 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 ba. Is it right. the zombies? I can't remember which band that is. Yeah, I can't remember uh, either. I the, can... Hollies. Sorry, the Hollies. The Hollies. Okay, there we go. Yeah. So Tony Hicks was one of the Hollies, and his son Paul Hicks was a school friend of Danny Harrison, George Harrison's oh, son. Nice. Like they were they were best mates, and I think Paul actually plays in Danny Harrison's band now. Oh. At any rate, George Harrison came to the studio to say <laughs> hi to uh, Jimmy Page and Robert Plant, who were there working. And uh, that was when I met George Harrison. And he was perfectly at ease there because he, uh, Paul was kind of his, Paul was like their, their neighbors, like their kids played together in the playpen. Right, like, right. You know, they, were, they were friendly and familiar. So he was at ease because he was friendly and familiar with everyone in the room apart from me. And I just sort of kept to myself, but he, they were, he was very nice and very, very friendly and very warm. And I enjoyed all of that interaction. I've ne- I haven't met Ringo. Um, <laughs> wow. But that's very, 
Very Sir impressive. George Martin, Sir George Martin was interesting. He was an odd fellow when I met him. I met him after he he was already profoundly deaf when I met him. Oh, so he was obviously sort of defensive about speaking to people in a, in a sort of a public setting, like in front of other people. He didn't want to sort of betray his deafness, hmm. um, and I I don't blame him, you know. Uh, but uh, but he was very he was kind. He shook my hand. He said hello. I'm George Martin. That sort of thing, which yeah, yeah. I could tell was kind of a, a practiced thing for him to get out of the the interaction like quickly but I, I i i certainly don't begrudge him that he must have a million fucking idiots coming up to him all the time <laughs> i mean not now he's dead but before he died he must have had a million fucking idiots you know he was but a first- he was a central figure in the first beatles documentary i watched the complete beatles then this my father taught me how to tape stuff off the tv so i taped it on pbs and he's like the central character so i i found him endearing from a young age and then mm-hmm. do you have respect for obviously the beatles records uh, have stood the test of time. Do you? Do you have? Did you have yeah. mutual respect uh, for his craft, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, he was clearly a producer in the mode of the producer of the day, where he worked for the record company and he was just trying to keep the ship, you know, afloat and make sure that everything was done in sort of proper order and that sort of thing. So I, I, I kind of respect him, his the way he worked within those strictures, but still, like the Beatles were allowed the freedom to be wackos, and I think that's that's kind of good. Yeah. Um, the guy that I was really interested in meeting, though, was Jeff Emmerich, who's yeah, their the engineer. engineer. Yeah, and and is if there's a Mount Rushmore of audio engineers, Jeff Emmerich, 100 percent is his face is on there. Hmm. Um, he, he's has legend had legendary hearing. Like th- there was a, a fault that he identified in a couple of channels on a Neve console. He identified that a couple of channels had an irregularity in the high end. Is the way he described it. it was like there was something off about the high end in these two modules and they found that there was a small wiring error in those two modules alone out of the 36 or however many were in the console yeah and it caused a resonance at like 28 kilohertz or something like that which is you know a half octave above what is considered the limit of human hearing huh and jeff emmerich was able to identify that there was a problem with those two modules even though the problem expressed itself at a frequency that we're not supposed to be able to perceive. How could he have done that then? Just superhuman? I I mean that plus, but also like if something if there's an anomaly outside the audible spectrum, it can have aliasing effects in the audio spectrum, oh. but still at very high frequencies. But even being attuned to that would is remarkable, you know. And so you did encounter Jeff. I did meet Jeff and he was interesting. He at the time they were interested he was interested in the uh, sound quality differences of different delivery digital delivery formats oh. like whether things were delivered on data cartridges like exabytes or whether they were sent over a LAN network or whether they were sent on a hard drive on a removable hard drive like he was convinced that he was hearing differences in these digital products just based on which format the data transfer had been conducted in and, you know, I'm not going to disbelieve Jeff Emmerich when it comes to what he hears, you know. I believe him. I used to get MP3 fatigue, honestly. I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't listen to them. Like, I couldn't – we'd have to – for one of my jobs, it was like we did a streaming radio thing. It was all like 112 – it was horrible. It was the lowest – anyway, I didn't like it. So I, I believe that. And he's superhuman, yeah. so – well, that's fascinating. I didn't know these stories. That's I, I think I did know that you'd encountered George Martin, but I don't believe I'd heard the others. Yeah, and then later, like years after that, 
I've done a couple of sessions with James McCartney, Paul's son, who like he's a, an extremely talented musician in his own right. And uh, I've done a couple of sessions for him. He uh, occasionally records and performs and tours and stuff. And uh, I did a couple of sessions with him. And one of those was at their private studio, at the studio that's maintained for Paul's personal use. Oh. Uh, sorry, Sir Paul's personal use. Um, and so I got to meet all the staff there, and they were super nice people. And Sir Paul left me a, a really charming, welcoming note when I oh, came wow. to the studio, wow. and you know, telling me to take care of his boy and all that sort of stuff. It was, it was it was very sweet. And I talked to him on the phone a few times, and you know, about those sessions, like about getting those sessions ready, and about working with James. And you know, I just got the same sort of very friendly, very warm feeling from him that everybody else does. Seems amazing. And and when you do watch Get Back, I think, uh, you know, I grew up a John Lennon fan. I mean, that kind of puts you in this oppositional place with Paul as a kid. Uh, you pick your sides, right? And then you watch this. When you watch this Get Back movie, I think it really shows what Paul had to deal with uh, in terms well, of... Well, and also, I mean, he's just a, a supernaturally talented person. Yeah. You know, like he yeah. can, you know, all of the tasks involved in making music, like like coming up with tunes and riffs and chord progressions and playing your instrument and singing and, uh, you know, arranging the music. Like he's like, he's a, in the top fraction of a percentile in all of those. Yes. Things, yes. You know, yes. Uh, super talented. Now, knowing some of your social networks, uh, some of the circles you uh, run in events, you get to go to any close calls with Ringo. Are you going to get to meet Ringo? Do you hope? Is it possible? You know, you never know. I, I think, I mean, bearing in mind that I'm mostly slumming it, you know, it's very rare that I'm in the company of people who are sort of in that scale. Yeah. Um, so I think it's it's pretty unlikely just because, you know, like, it's not like I'm going to be hanging out backstage at the Grammys or something, you know. <laughs> but so you have like, you have attended a Grammy ceremony or something a couple of times, haven't you? No, not a, not a proper Grammys thing. There was like a some Chicago budget grammy thing that yeah, I, yeah. I, I yeah. got an award at but uh like i've never you know i i don't participate in the sort that sort of stuff on on the reg no i know that i i, I was thinking of that because i think famously isn't there a photo with you isn't kanye west in the photo with you yeah that was i think the two of us got awards at the same time right Right, and it was Grammy related. Yeah. Were, you, were you serious? It's it not. Was, it was the Grammy organization, but like the Chicago chapter. Chicago chapter. Oh, okay. I didn't. I anyway. No. Anyway, those are great. I didn't know those stories, they, and uh, they gave me a big plexiglass dildo with my name on it. And it's, up, <laughs> you know, it's upstairs somewhere. Well, that uh, certainly takes the the uh, sweet feeling I had after those Paul McCartney stories uh, away. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, no, that's lovely. Those are great to hear. Now, I alluded to your Twitter. You unlocked your Twitter this year, I believe. Yeah. Is that right? Now, uh, for years, I don't know how long, I got to follow your Twitter, and it was it was sporadic. But you, it was always I always enjoyed your Twitter. But why why did you choose to unlock it uh, uh, this year when you did? I unlocked it at the end of August so that I could announce that Shellac was canceling its tour and so that I could present our rationale for canceling it and so that it wouldn't there wouldn't be a like a word of mouth thing about it it would be just straight from from me this is hmm. why we were canceling our tour and I left it my intention was to leave it open for what would have been the duration of the tour so that if anyone had any misgivings about us canceling the, the shows or if anybody wanted to talk about 
any of the carrying on effects of us canceling that tour that yeah. I would be available to talk to people, right? Right. I mean, granted, my phone number is easy to come by and they people could just call me on the fucking phone, but nobody uses the phone anymore. So mm-hmm. I guess it doesn't really, you know, that's not really germane. Right. Um, but okay. anyway, at any rate, uh, I, I, my intention was to leave it open for what would have been the duration of the tour. And then a number of other threads started that seemed like they were open-ended enough that I should let them play themselves out. And now we're heading into the season where the my wife runs a charity called Poverty Alleviation Charities, and there's an annual fundraising event for it, which is the 24-hour marathon show, mm-hmm. uh, which raises money for the Letters to Santa program, which is the principal program of the Poverty Allevi- Alleviation Charities. And so that's coming up, and I wanted to make make keep myself available to talk about the work that PAC does, and the you know to I guess to to lend a little notice to the twenty four hour show, which this year is being conducted in Oakland mm-hmm. at the Starline Social Club. December uh, December eighteenth and nineteenth. De- that is an December eighteenth and nineteenth. Twenty four hours of improvised comedy and music. <laughs> That was very well done. That was good. That yeah. was good promotion. So you're, yeah. are you, I'm getting the sense that you're, this is temporary and it's, it's, it remains a temporary well, unlocking for you? In my mind it is. But now the problem with it now is that there's no way that you can just sort of blanket force unfollow all of the people that f- followed you. I think if you lock your Twitter once people are following you, they remain your followers. That's correct. I believe that's correct. Yeah, when yeah. you when you had it locked, you had, I don't know, a fairly modest number of followers. I don't remember what it yeah, was. Yeah, like 100 but, or something. Yeah, and then now it's, what is it? I haven't looked. It's a lot. I don't know. It's a lot. Yeah. But it, it's so many that I think in going through individually and nuking them off of my feed by blocking them, number one, seems quite rude. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and number two is a lot of fucking work. And yeah. I don't, I don't, I mean, I never wanted this level of engagement with fucking Twitter in the general public, you know? Yeah. I, but now that it's here, it seems like so much work to undo it. Uh, <laughs> but, but you're also tweeting f- more regularly. I, I said earlier that you didn't seem to tweet as much, but now you're, what, at least once a day, I think, or something, isn't it? I don't know. Sure. Yeah. So you're you're engaging with like, it. Yeah, you're engaging with it more. Do you like it now that you've unlocked? I, there are things about it that I like, which is that people that have that would have wanted to get a hold of me but didn't know how now have a means of getting a hold of me, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so I've in, I've already had some interactions with people on the on the sort of DM level that are. And those conversations have been fruitful and I've enjoyed those conversations. Like but one of the Twitter threads that made me sort of want to keep it open for a bit was me sort of coming to grips with my responsibility for some of the like dark, edgy, contrary, contrarian sort of yeah. art and speech that then has that over time has come to be associated with the alt right and people like that, like that, who who I would like to be like to disavow in entirety, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, but I I have to accept and come to grips with my role in promulgating that kind of speech, and so one of the Twitter threads was basically that, and then and during that, I was contacted directly by some people on DM 
who wanted me to answer for things. Yeah. And I felt good about the fact that I could, uh, that there was now a venue for people to ask me to explain myself in specifically to them, as opposed to me making some sort of generalized statement about things. Mm-hmm. And I welcomed that. And I thought that was, that was good and healthy. And it enabled some genuine conversations between me and some other people. So what are you learning about yourself through this process? Uh, because I will tell you, Steve, uh, earlier this year, someone messaged me to say, you got to stop talking to Steve Albini. And I said, what do you mean? And they said, well, you know about the one band he was in. Do you know about this band he was in? A band name? And I said, what are you talking about? And I, I was honestly, I didn't. And um, I was shocked. And I, you know, to yeah. the point of like, what do I do with this information? This is some, as you know, Steve, we've been talking for 20 years or whatever it's been. And, uh, you know, I admire you, but it did put me in an awkward place of like, yeah. I did not even know about this project. Well, uh, it wasn't, it, I'll, you know, being, I, I'm, this is not an excuse. This is, this is an explanation. There was a, an audio magazine called TELUS that um, had a theme for each issue and they solicited contributions and they had solicited a contribution from me from, for a previous issue, yeah. which was the all guitars issue. And they wanted me to do an instrumental guitar recording. And I did. And uh, that was under my name. That was, you know, mm-hmm. and then they solicited a contribution. I don't remember what the theme was. But a friend of mine at the time had this idea of doing a recording of a song and using a band name that were specifically taken from a, a, a period black exploitation film that he was fond of. Right. So the film, uh, the name of the, of the group is taken from the name of the film. Right. And the name of the song is taken from a line in that film that had some particular resonance because there was a sort of growing trend of violent homophobia. Mm-hmm. And our thought was, and th- this is in conversation during this sort of mea culpa era uh, uh, of my Twitter, I've had to articulate my thought process, even knowing that it was flawed. Yeah. Yeah. as a means of explaining myself, not excusing myself, but explaining how some how I could have found myself in these untenable positions, right? Yeah. And this one was that the language of abuse was being reclaimed at the time. Like the gay community and gay subculture was kind of reveling and calling itself queer, which for years had been an uns- unthinkable slur, an unspeakable slur you know, a, sh- a word of shame, yeah. but they had reclaimed that word right? and uh, were using it as part of their identity as a, as a way of demarking their pride. And you saw that happening in a lot of different subcultures and a lot of different marginalized communities. People were sort of reclaiming the words that had previously been used to shame them or to name them. Right. Right. So the misguided thinking about that was that in that premise that this language was now also the language of empowerment, that you could use those words and that language sort of freely, Hmm. right? That was a mistaken notion and particularly egregious coming from a straight white guy. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's, yeah, it's an inexcusable, culturally and tonally deaf 
clumsiness on my part that I participated in that. It wasn't my project. It wasn't, you know, I was involved in it mm-hmm. in that I, I played and recorded it. I played on it and recorded it. It wasn't my music. It wasn't my project, but I participated in it and I was down with all of the stupid ideas that were embedded in it. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you speaking to it. And for that response, uh, you know, I often think back to the conversation that you and I had uh, with Ian Mackay and uh, many years ago now. But at some point, um, I asked you both about your relationship with political correctness. Yeah. Uh, the notion of political correctness. And, and these days right. that might be uh, I think that term is similar to wokeness to some extent. But what I always quote from it is what you said. You were quoting a friend of yours, I believe, and you said that Mm. what that means, what that stuff really means is being decent to other people. Right, exactly. And I think, um, I I just wanted you to know, that that always sticks with me, and it's something I I employ it at work sometimes when people are like, oh, they want me to play more women on the radio, or they want me to do this or that. I'm like, well, you're just... You just have to be decent. Like, that's all it means. You're just being decent to other yeah, people. Exactly. Yeah. So I just want I you mean, to. There, yeah. If you think about if you think about the how easy you and I have had it in our lives yeah. by being straight white dudes in a straight white culture. Just to right? hold the phone on the whiteness there, Steve. I don't know if you I know the camera's off, but uh, a little. Uh, all right. Yeah. OK, you're a shade. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm, so, I'm beige at least. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, but at any rate, um, yeah. No, I, like, I I will say I, yes. I've had it easy for sure. Uh, compared being to aware of, of how easy we've had it. Yeah. It's a trivially small thing for us to not make things worse for people who have not had it as easy as us. Like, then yeah. that's all. It's that's all anybody is asking for. What what they're saying is. Don't make it worse for somebody who's already had a rough go of it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I I appreciate... Don't aggravate an already bad situation. Well, I think it's great that you are viewing uh, something like Twitter as a way to address this stuff, address your history. I believe the thread started because you were talking about the recent Dave Chappelle special. Yeah. And then people are like, oh, who are you to talk? And I've... I will say, to your credit... Which you, is fair. Yeah, but to your credit, you did talk. You talked to them. Yeah. So, I th- and I think that that was important. Um, okay, there's one other. I, I didn't think the Beatles celebrity encounters thing was going to be what it was. And that wasn't even <laughs> wasn't even my line of questioning. But I do want to invoke someone that we lost uh, this year that I think we both had a, a mutual love for. Speaking of people who pushed envelopes, uh, Norm MacDonald. Yeah. You and I have talked about him before. Just to refresh my memory, because I think the last time we talked about him was many years ago. How often did you encounter him in in the flesh? Well, I knew people that knew him. My wife worked in comedy for years, and I know through her, I know a lot of people involved in Saturday Night Live and in the comedy world in general. Mm-hmm. And I crossed paths with him like secondhand a lot in that we we have a lot of friends in common, and we've spoken to each other. We've spoken through our friends to each other in a way, yeah. uh, if you understand what yeah. I'm yeah. getting at here. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what I what surprised me, my only actual, my only genuine interaction with him was at the World Series of Poker. He's an avid poker player. Yeah. Uh, he's an avid gambler of all kinds, which I, I am not. I have, I'm not, uh, I am not susceptible to the gambling urge in any other way. I just, I play cards because it's part of my livelihood. I don't, I, but I'm, I'm not a gambler 
by nature. Right. But he is a gambler by nature. Well, he, and, he was. Uh, he had an affliction. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm certain there was a there was an element of pathology to it, but also there, like, just on the scale of gambling, there are people who do it as a a, a means of it, making their lives more exciting, and he definitely did that. And he admits that there's an element of pathology to it, but before it gets to that stage, there's a high wire act that all gamblers conduct, where the thrill of winning is so extreme that they're w- willing to risk the extraordinary depression of losing. Well, you know? probably a similar compulsion for a stand-up comedian, to be honest. Well, uh, the you know, with different stakes, but yeah. Well, I mean, the risk-taking, sorry, yeah, obviously hugely yeah, different exactly. stakes, but the notion of like, you know, I killed tonight or I or I bottomed out, like I, I bombed, yeah, you, can, you know? You can bomb really badly and that feels awful, Yeah. but when you crush, it feels so much better than bombing feels bad that it's worth the risk. Exactly, you know? right, right. Gambling losing is the other way around. Losing feels so much worse than winning feels good that it's a kind of a, a it's a perverse incentive that uh, you... Oh. Hmm. The thrill of winning needs you need to win a larger amount in order to have to capture the sensation of winning. Whereas if you win a trivial amount, well, who cares? Why did I even fucking come down here? You know, (laughs) sure, right. (laughs) Whereas if you're stuck, if you're you know, if you're stuck, your lungs, as they say, then you have a reason to live. You know, there's no ambiguity about it. Like I'm, I'm in the hole you know, 10 grand right now, I'm going to sit here and grind this out and I'm not leaving until I'm even again. You know, like that's the pathology of it. Right. Right. But anyway, my, my interactions with him were all at the world series of poker. Uh, We played at the same table in the seniors event. And there were some other notable people at our table, like Lou diamond Phillips. And there's an old school poker player named TJ Cloutier, who's a real character. Mm -hmm. And on a break from that uh, at that table, Norm uh, made a point of introducing himself to me and telling me that he had seen me on the Twitch stream when I won my bracelet the previous year. Oh, Uh, nice. And, you know, it was just very, very kind. And I mentioned some of the people that I knew that he would know from Saturday Night Live or through the comedy world. And, you know, that was that was my entree to him was like, oh, yeah, well, we have these mutual friends in common. Hmm. And uh, it was it was just very sweet and very genuine and it and very complimentary and i um yeah i just have the the fondest recollection of norm mcdonald as a dude yeah yeah me too I, and i think you know i i uh interacted with him on twitter about you and then sent yeah. sent you that screenshot he spoke very uh ad- admiringly of you as a poker player <laughs> yeah and, I, you you i saw that you posted that after he died and it was very it was very kind of him and very you know it was very nice to have that sort of reminiscence about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah. He, uh, it's been hard. I'll tell you that, you know, he, to me was the funniest guy in the world and, uh, and now I'm still in the world. So I feel, (laughs) I feel like it's not as funny and I go through it every day. I don't mean to, uh, pour my heart out too much, but he was one of those figures where I notice he's gone and it's, it's a hard one. I didn't know him. I got to meet him once, we interacted over the Twitter, but that's about it. But he's in, like, you can, I know it. I can hear it in the way I talk. He's just there. And yeah. uh, so anyway. The thing, he's one of those people that he's such a figure that it's hard to fathom the world without Norm MacDonald. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, 
he's he's part of the furniture, you know. Yeah. And there are, there are some people that have affected me that way as well. Like when John Peel died, I kind of felt that way. Like John Peel had been such a figure yeah. in the underground music scene and the and in the music community, and he had been again been sort of very specifically kind to me. That when he died, uh, it 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 just seemed like something about the universe was incorrect yeah. rather than yeah. that something had happened. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I've. That's yeah. I think you've uh, again harkening back to our conversation uh, with Ian. I think uh, uh, I felt like you two were saying something similar about John Loder as well. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there are these figures, and uh, yeah, it's a tough. It's tough. Just a tough time. <laughs> I didn't uh, selfishly. I didn't need to lose Norm in this pandemic, but uh, yeah. yeah, tough one. Um, well, anyway, on a different note, speaking of comedy, you alluded to the twenty-four hour improv event. One of the things yes, I'll, I'll tell you. Last year, I loved being able to engage with the thing from my house in Edmonton. Uh, it took place yeah. in Chicago. It was all remo- it was all online. So, what's happening this year? Can I, can someone like me, without going to Oakland, can I engage with it somehow? Yeah, if you go to Poverty Alleviation Charities, which is the the, the website URL is unconditionalgiving.org, mm-hmm. there will be links to allow you to donate, or and there will be information about the live stream for the twenty four hour event and letters to Santa. Letters to Santa is the program that we the the name for the program whereby we raise money and give it to poor people every year. Yeah, the money that's raised from the people who donate it it goes one hundred percent directly into the hands of poor families. There is no administrative costs taken out of the donated money. I don't know that poverty alleviation charities is unique in this way, but it's unusual in that the donations that people make on behalf of the poor people that Poverty Alleviation Charities serves go directly to those people. And all of the uh, overhead and administration costs, yeah. those, are, those are handled by benefactors and donors, whereas the individuals who give money out of their pockets, hoping that it will get into the hands of poor people, that money goes 100% directly into the hands of poor people. Yeah, no, it's it's really wonderful. And I really, uh, of all the sort of online things uh, I was sort of, I guess, forced to do in a sense last year, yeah. it was really the most enjoyable. I tried to tune in for as much as I, I possibly could and and you were on there moderating things the uh the Robert, <laughs> well, there, there, yeah. is, there is going to be a, an online component again this year the show itself is going to be in oakland california yeah but the, there is going to be an online component and the uh, musical acts that appear in the room at the starline social club they are going to be streamed but there are also going to be people streaming into the room right. that is people who are not going to be present there are going to be streaming into the room and and are going to be on a large screen there and right. all of those will also be visible on the like the live stream will encompass pretty much all of that. Okay, well for those listening, I'll include all the relevant links in the uh, podcast description. So go to that. It really was the most fun thing I did in terms of uh, online events last year. So for what it's worth, I hope you'll check it out. Um, before we go, uh, Steve, just uh, any other future plans? I I do want to ask you about. We talked about shellac. I think for the last two or three uh, occasions we've spoken. We have ref. I have referenced a B sides compilation that you told me yeah. about. Is there yeah, any? Yeah. I know you were talking about the record pressing plant stuff, so I assume there's some like that. But is the actual comp feeling like it's done otherwise? You know the. Yeah, I'll, I'll admit that we. Ha- I haven't poked that bear in a while. Um, 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> my clock, my timer just went off. Um, I, I have a pot of stock boiling that I need to shut off. Oh, do you want to go do that? Yeah, we can. Uh, yeah, um, in, in a moment. It's not critical. Okay, okay. Yeah, the the tracks and all have been selected. The uh, mastering is done as near as I can recall. It, it has been at least a year since I've thought about it. So okay. I'm going to assume that all of that is still fait accompli. Okay. 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 Well, that's good. So we might, depending on whether or not uh, people can still make records, uh, we will hopefully see this at some point in the yeah, sometime in the you know, sometime in the near term, not the immediate term. There will be a a compilation album of shellac singles and oddities. Great. That's awesome. I'm. I'm. Well, I mean, I think I have all of them except for that. uh, You know, the thing. That everyone wants that they can't get the futurist. The, I, the futurist. Yeah, I have everything but the futurist. So I'm, uh, but I'm still. I think. I think I do. I, I'd like to think <laughs> I do. Uh, so I'm excited. This is exciting. Is there anything surprising on there? Something we hadn't heard before? We might not have uh, encountered before. Oh, like yeah. nothing surprising to me. I'm familiar with all of it. Well, yeah, I, so. I would think you would know. But th- these yeah. days, you never know. I, you guys are very picky. But my point is this: <laughs> uh, do, you, do you? Is there anything that's just totally out of left field that even like a, a hardcore collector like me might be missing? There are a couple of things where there were songs that were recorded for specific concerts where there was a the, uh, there was a record given out as a premium for coming to the show. Oh, like there were a couple a couple of things like that. There was a, yeah various little I mean just you'll see it eventually no I know you're just telling me to wait I'll wait I'm just curious I'm just making conversation that's the whole point of this thing okay (laughs) (laughs) all right well I appreciate this Uh, I guess for more information about uh, your studio it's electricalaudio.com right that's where we can electricalaudio.com there's a uh, comprehensive website that has where you can see the studio there's a there are some online forums with a particularly engaging crowd Oh yeah, the forums came back. I forgot about that. That was yeah. uh, that, those were gone for a while. How's that going? Is it uh, busy? People chatting? <laughs> yeah, a lot of a lot of interpersonal communication skills being developed. <laughs> <laughs> I like that forum. That's good. Okay, cool. Uh, normally we go out on a song, and this always sucks. You never like to pick. But is there a shellac song we should play for people? Is there something that comes to mind? Something that you enjoyed playing before the tour uh, got uh, kiboshed? Uh. No, yeah, okay. take take a flyer. I don't really care. I'll just we'll play something out, and we'll. I don't know. I can't think of. It. I was just listening to your. I just closed it. I was just listening to your album uh, at Action Park. That's good. I like that one. Uh, I like them all, but that's a good one. Anyway, maybe I'll play something by uh, by Shellac from that album right now, and I'll tell you more about it on the other end. Steve, always a tremendous pleasure to have you on the show and to chat. I, I hope you enjoyed it, and best of luck with all things uh, in the future. Well, thank you for having me.
naked out here in the sun. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From their incredible album At Action Park, which was released in 1994, that was Shellac with Dog and Pony Show. Thanks, as always, and once again, to Steve Albini for returning to this show, and in this case, appearing on the 656th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcast. If you can't find an uh, older episode that you're looking for, uh, on any of your platforms, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit my website, vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook if you 
so desire. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Vish Creative directly, or uh, that's the show, I guess. Or you can follow me directly uh, on uh, Twitter and on Instagram at Vishkana if you like. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation. $6 or more a month grants you access to exclusive content. And if you're interested in receiving a creative control t-shirt, please message me on Patreon and I will get you one while supplies last. I've been sending out a fair number of them lately, so I think my supplies must be dwindling. I should do a count, but I haven't had a chance. Normally it's pretty slow, but all of a sudden people want t-shirts. It's nice. So again, oh, speaking of which... New feature with the Patreon, bonus content from new episodes. Usually I just have been posting like older things from my history that I thought you might find interesting, you know, things that predate this podcast. So I just sort of grab, go into my archives and put stuff up. But what I'm trying to do now is a little segment with the guests who are on. I did one recently as you're, as you're listening to this uh, most recent episode, Jackie Cation. So comedian Jackie Cation and I uh, had a little bonus chat. In this case, Steve Albini. Steve Albini and I had a little bonus uh, conversation about his current obsessions. He talked about billiards. Anyway, that's on the Patreon. Patreon.com slash creative control. Thanks again to the fine Alberta record retailer Blackbird Music, which you can learn more about at their website, blackbird.ca. And also to Pizza Trocadero, the bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton for their in-kind support for this show. If you want to learn more about them, check the podcast description for links and go to their various web presences. Thanks, as always, to my friend Jim Guthrie for letting me use uh, music of his on the show. You can learn more about Jim. He's always very busy. Got lots, uh, got lots going on. Learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you for listening to this episode with uh, Steve Albini. I hope you enjoyed our chat. And we'll consider uh, subscribing to the podcast or uh, maybe even telling your friends about the show and spreading the word about it that helps people like to learn things from their friends i think i know i do anyway all of that means a lot thanks again for uh, your support and for listening i will talk to you very soon take care of yourselves be safe be healthy bye for now up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. 
And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.